Welcome to the Business of Biotech Summer Executive Sessions. I'm Matt Piller, Chief Editor at Bioprocess Online. And on today's show, we're talking myeloid cells and transplant surgeries and a few other things with OSE Immunotherapeutics Director and CEO, Alexi Payroll. OSE is a clinical stage biotechnology company focused on developing and partnering on therapies to control the immune system for immuno-oncology and autoimmune diseases. Alexi joined the company in 2013, bringing along with him more than a decade of global life sciences finance leadership experience with companies like Sanofi and Gerbet. Alexi, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleased so to let's, be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. We're honored. Uh, I, and I want to I take some time to get to know you a little bit better before we get into some of the, the science that you guys are working on and, and how you're going about that. Um, your, uh, your, your education, I noticed, is in business finance, which you know, it's one of those things that you can kind of take a, a, a thousand different directions uh, out of school. Um, and I'm curious why you chose life sciences with your, with your first job at Sanofi. Well, it's, um, I think it's a mixture of uh, opportunity, choice, as you said, and luck. I mean, um, I come from a family where my two grandparents were uh, medical doctors. Uh, so I heard a lot about the importance of science and, 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 and drugs and so on and how to help people. Um, and when I, had, um, I, when I did my business school in France, um, you had this opportunity to stop between the second and third year and to do one year full-time traineeship. So I had the opportunity to join a, a, a French pharmaceutical company, which was called at that time, Roussel Uclave, became Uxmarie Roussel, then a Sanofi. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I had the opportunity to, to work with the marketing director, who was at that time Pascal Sorio, who is now the CEO of AstraZeneca. So he was my first boss. And I was very lucky to, to learn a lot uh, with him on, on this. So it gave me the, the, the willingness and, 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 and um, the opportunity to continue my career in the life science for, for a couple of years and to, and to work abroad uh, in Japan and also in the, in the Baltic States. Uh, so so that, that, that's the reason why I, I decided to, uh, to continue like that. Uh, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, you have some opportunities that you have to catch and, and then it decides for you the, the path forward. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like, you know, looking at the, the timeline of your career, it seems like you, you had an opportunity to uh, sort of vet whether you were on the right path because you left life sciences for a, for a, a little bit, a couple of years, I think you, uh, and again, I, this isn't something that I typically see on the uh, CV of a, of a biopharma CEO, but you left and went to work in the advertising uh, industry of all places. What, what prompted that move? Well, um, well, I come also from a family where you have a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, uh -huh. So I, I decided to, um, to start something new and, and to create uh, one of the subsidiary of an advertising company based in Lyon. So it was also a, a very uh, pragmatic and personal choice because my girlfriend at that time was based in Lyon. And she became my wife. So it was a very good move also. Oh, and, congratulations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, so that's, that's the reason. I really, I, I really, I really wanted um, quite early on after uh, leaving Sanofi, working in a very big group, uh, you know, where you have, you learn a lot when you, 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 you work in a, in a big corporation, but you want to try something new and to try to build a structure, to build a, a company. And that's what I, I decided to do. And then the, I would say the life science, I missed life science and, and, and the pharma uh, industry and the interest for patients, for example. So that's why I decided to come back and work for Gerber. 
Yeah. So you came back and worked for Gerbet, which was a, that's a, a medical imaging company, correct? Yeah, they are, do, um, they are doing contrast media products. So working in the medical imaging, but, but these are actual drugs. I mean, you, you develop them as a, as a medicine. Gotcha. Okay, good. So, so you did that for a little bit. And then what prompted the move to get, uh, to get back into biopharma? Well, I, I was um, lucky while working at Gerbet, um, they, they had the opportunity to do um, an, an executive MBA at Imperial College, uh, where I learned a lot about innovation and, and, and again, starting um, uh, new, new structures and so on. So while we were in, in Brazil, we decided to, to come back to France to, um, for personal reasons. And, and that's how I decided to, to, to search the best uh, project I could find in, in, in a biotech and help build and develop a specific biotech. And I, uh, and I found uh, OSC uh, and, and I met Dominique Costantini, its founders and, and, uh, in 2013, and, and we got along very well. So that's, that's how all, all, all this started uh, for, for me in, uh, at OSC Immunotherapeutics and working for, for cancer and in, in immunology was very important for me um, because I mean, for family, family reasons, uh, it was important to, to come back to, to try to, in this field uh, to bring something for the patients and for their families. Did you, uh, so when you joined OSE, you joined as CEO. That, was that your first position with the company? I, I joined as, um, as a CFO and, okay. uh, and in charge of uh, business development. Dominique Costantini was the CEO at that time. And, and we, together we did an IPO. We merged with um, uh, another biotech to, to focus on, on research. And we're going to talk about that, but uh, on, on research in, uh, in immunology and in autoimmune disease. And then in 2018, we both, Dominique and myself, thought that it was the right time to switch a bit uh, roles. Yeah. And, and that's how I became a CEO and she became chairman of the board and, and kept a very operational role in terms of clinical development. Excellent. So yeah, let's uh, let, let's get into the work that OSE is doing. Uh, you know, I, I I touched at a super high level uh, uh, on sort of what your company does, but why don't you why don't you give us a little more detail on that? What do, what is it that you guys are seeking to do? So we are we are a typical uh, R and D biotech. So we focus mainly on research and, and clinical development. We try to have uh, innovative targets or innovative uh, cells type of cells. Uh, compared to other biotechs to differentiate uh, ourselves a bit. Um, and we have been, I mean, we started the company, we were two, Dominique and myself, we are now 45, um, with um, especially a, a strong research team, which is based in Nantes. Nantes is, a, is on the western part of France, and it has been a cluster of transplantation and immunotherapy for the past 30 years. So we mm -hmm. try to leverage this knowledge in order to find new targets, new drugs, uh, which could be of interest in these two areas of expertise that we have, immunology and, uh, and autoimmune disease. And we do, we do also try to get partnerships quite early on with big pharma companies. That's what we did with uh, a French pharma company called Servier and uh, a German company called Boehringer Ingelheim, which helped us continue the development uh, of, of our product. So we, we have clearly a business model where um, we do R&D and we don't want to commercialize for the moment uh, the, our own products, for example. Uh, and we try to develop our portfolio with various mechanisms of action, various products, uh, which will uh, tackle the, the resistance that we see or the, the, the unmet need in both immunology and autoimmune disease. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. The way that you paint the the, the picture uh, of the company as as you know R and D, uh, clinical, you know, er, early stage. Yet, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the conversation. You, you've uh, you've got some some pipeline candidates that are pretty pretty far along. Yeah, well, actually, when we when we started the company um, in two thousand thirteen, our our lead asset was already in phase two, mm-hmm. and we were able to buy back this asset which had been developing in the US. And initially what we thought would be that we would be able to get to acquire other clinical assets uh, in immuno-oncology. But then the tsunami of uh, the immuno-oncology arrived and these kind of assets became much too expensive for a company like us. But on the other hand, um, we understood that there was still a lot of work which could be done in research, uh, in immuno-oncology and in the autoimmune part. And that's why we decided to focus the company on this and to recruit the right kind of people in order to help us achieve this, uh, this objective. So we had a change of business model uh, in 2014-15, and, and since then we, um, we, we have this R&D focus as you describe it. Okay, great. So let's talk about that. You know, part of that focus is on myeloid cells. Why are these key to harnessing the power of the immune system to fight disease? Well, I think it's, it's clear that uh, when you look at immunology and, and the great progresses that you had in the past three to four years, we all know that T cells, T lymphocytes are very important to attack uh, the tumor. And on the other hand, in in the autoimmune part, um, you need to block them so that you avoid uh, serious uh, disease. But we, coming from transplantation, coming from um, graft, uh, our research team uh, knew well the other types of cells which are important in the, in the immune system. And myeloid cells, for example, they represent 50% of the cells in the immune system. So they are, they are key to, um, to help us um, um, fight against cancer, for example. So the idea for us was to leverage this knowledge that, the, that we have in transplantation, that we have in the, uh, in the graft um, area, uh, knowing even before the immuno-oncologist uh, the, the, the immune system and these myeloid cells. And as you have fewer, less companies, biotechs, which are focusing on that, it was a very good way for us uh, to differentiate ourselves. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about where that knowledge comes from. You know, you, you've, you've alluded to the importance of transplantation surgery as a source for new ideas uh, for drug targets for immuno-oncology and autoimmune diseases. Um, I'm, 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 that's really intriguing to me. What, what, what about this transplantation uh, history has enabled those learnings and that intellectual property to, to exist at OSE? Well, in transplantation, it's exactly a mirror compared to cancer. You want to make sure that your own system will not reject um, the, the, the organ that you, 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 have, you have implanted. So that's why uh, transplant people have been working on all the immune system on immune cells for the, the past 30 to 40 years. And they had had successes uh, earlier compared to immunology. So we know well all these type of, uh, of cells and that's how we have this idea. For example, the product that we have licensed to Boehringer Ingenheim, which is targeting macrophages. So it's a type of myeloid cells on Sirpalpha on the Sirpalpha CD47 pathway, it was discovered by our team in the year 2008-2009 that Sirpalpha could be found on myeloid cell while working on transplantation. So 
it was not working in transplantation when you, you were blocking this, uh, this type of uh, pathway. So as a contrary, it means that it should be working in cancer. And that's exactly the type of thing that we, um, we apply to find uh, our new ideas. We just announced uh, last month uh, in a collaboration with uh, the hospital and a new university uh, um, uh, lab in Nantes that we have a new target called CLEC1. And this new target is also on myeloid cells and also was discovered while working in transplantation. And as you block it, uh, you think that it will be working in, in cancer. So the idea is how you, you use this knowledge uh, that you were um, uh, when you, that we had when we were focusing in, uh, in transplantation to, um, to fight against cancer and not being on T-cells to differentiate and attract uh, pharma companies who want to, to find ways to combine drugs, to combine treatments, and to have several types of treatment uh, in order to fight this uh, vicious disease. The Business of Biotech is produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. If you're the leader of an early to clinical stage biotech, you need to check out the resources that are hand curated for people like you at CitivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. The knowledge center there is chock full of articles, webinars, videos, podcasts, and other content that's ultra focused on helping new and emerging biotechs chart the course to the clinic and beyond. Check it out, CitivaLifeSciences.com backslash Emerging Biotech. Are, are there specific uh, transplant surgeries that, that have, have kind of enabled these learnings or is it, uh, is it pretty universal? I mean, you know, I guess, I guess my, uh, my assumption, and it's purely uh, assumption would be we're talking about, uh, you know, bone marrow, for instance. Um, but, but is there more to it than that? No, it's, it's clearly it's, it's, it's more universal than that. I mean, hmm. uh, in, in Nantes, uh, this is one of the hospitals in Europe where they do a lot of kidney transplantation. So mm -hmm. a lot of work has been done on kidney transplantation, but, but you, you have various models in mice or in primates on, on bone marrow and, 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 and so on. So it's, um, you cannot just focus on one type of surgeries or one type of transplantation, which will give you specific targets. Um, but um, that's, that's quite, quite universal. We, for example, we have um, a, a specific collaboration with another hospital in, in France in Lyon, so the other, on the other side of, of the country, which is well known called Centre Léon Bérard. Uh, and, and, and we, they have access to patients uh, in, 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 who have cancer and we have a specific uh, artificial intelligence um, um, program with them in order to find additional myeloid cells targets. So you, you cannot, yeah. we don't rely only on transplantation that's the basis of our knowledge and that's where we come from. Uh, but now we have expanded uh, all this in order to, to find these new targets, which are of great interest uh, for, for the clinicians. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's interesting. The, the, the AI angle is interesting to me because I wanted to ask you just what the process of gleaning this insight looks like, you know, and it seems like there'd be a lot of trial and error on like, let's observe what, uh, you know, myeloid cells do in certain, transplant environments uh, with certain organs, with certain people. Um, that's probably a lot of inputs to uh, arrive at an outcome. Is, is AI 
helping to enable those? Yes, uh, it, it does actually more and more. I mean, the, the, the way we, we were doing that 10 years ago is completely different nowadays. Um, you can use, I mean, specific algorithm. You do a lot more of um, gene research. I mean, you, you can analyze tons and tons of data uh, in order to be quicker in, in the way you identify potential targets and, 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 uh, and the area of interest, as you mentioned. So it means that the, the amount of the data that we have access to is it's much higher now, now than it was uh, before. Nevertheless, you still have for the moment some bottlenecks. I mean, you mm -hmm. still need uh, to test um, your, your product in mice first. Uh, you still need to see what uh, it, it will give in, in preclinical model and so on. What we develop also in order to address this, this kind of bottlenecks using uh, artificial intelligence and using, using 3Ds, um, we have access now to tumor samples and we are able to, um, to kind of uh, put, put them into, in volume in order to test our products. And it uh, has been developed by, uh, by someone in, in our company. I mean, we have a specific patent on that. Uh, and it does help us accelerate um, the, the identification or the choice between uh, several targets or several products. So there mm -hmm. is still a lot of things uh, which could be done uh, in order to be quicker in, in, in from the ID that you get, I would say, to the product being tested uh, in, in clinic. And, and the, the importance for us is to attract the right talents uh, who can do that because there are few, very few people actually who can manage both the biology part and the I mean, um, computer part. So you need to find someone who understands both. And if you have these, these people, then you will be able to expand and a number of projects that could be of interest and develop a process uh, where you have to make the right decision to stop some, some, uh, some projects. As you said, it's trial and errors. It, not everything works, that's for sure. Um, mm -hmm. but, but, but you use uh, more and more uh, computational work in order, to, in order to do that. And for a company like us, uh, who is in a race against other biotechs, but also other big pharma companies who have much more resources than us, uh, it's very important to be always at the forefront of these kind of tools uh, in order to convince them that uh, you, you have identified the, the right target, a, a, an interesting product, and so on. That's, that's yeah. part of our job to, to be always at the forefront on this point. Yeah, and you bring up a really uh, interesting point around build, building a team and ensuring that that team has people uh, on it who are capable of both understanding the biology, but also the, the computational aspect. And you also mentioned earlier that you've grown the company from two to 45 uh, employees. Um, how have you gone about uh, the, the HR, the human resources aspect of bringing people on who kind of can bridge that gap between biology and, and artificial intelligence. What's, what's the secret there? <laughs> I don't know. I played rugby for 10 years. So I know that in a team, you need to have, you know, tall guy, fat guy, fast, fast people. And so on. you need a team of various characters and, and, and various yeah. personalities and, 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 and abilities to, to do specific work. But joke aside, um, first of all, you need to attract them and you attract them if they see that you do a strong science, if science is important for you. And that's, that's clearly the motto we have at, at OAC. I mean, we need to, to a strong science uh, to be convinced, uh, strong biology to be convinced that we move forward with one or two uh, specific projects. 
So that's the way you, they see that you give them the resources, the freedom uh, also to pursue some specific project. Sometimes, you know, um, we have one specific project. We don't see clear results for one or two years, but you, anyway, they, they, you continue, you continue. And, and at, after two years, you, you have uh, something which happened, which makes it interesting and, and, and worth it in terms of investment, in terms of resources and, and time. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, uh, you clearly need to identify what are the specific points that you are missing, what are the competencies that you are missing, and, 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 and bring them together in order to make sure that the, they will, the, the people you hire will bring these competencies, but will fit well within the team. So that, that's clearly the two things that we, we try to have. I mean, you need to have a strong team spirit and you need to have people who can work well in team, uh, which is not always the case. Uh, and sometimes we had to make decision not to hire some very clever people, but thinking that they will not fit well uh, within the team and, and, and will bring more uh, disadvantages, I would say, than, than, than uh, the positive aspects. Yeah. As it relates to the R&D culture of your company and, and that, that focus, what uh, strategic, like, how, how did you go about strategically pacing your, your hires? Like, uh, I, guess, I guess I would ask, where did you place priority around the, the titles and positions that you were filling to kind of meet that R&D objective? Well, we clearly, um, we clearly started quite early on on the research side. So as the number of projects were um, increasing, we, we, we brought more researchers, uh, PhDs and, and, and so on, uh, yeah. trying to make sure that we identify the right people who could be project manager or project leader, for example, for this kind of, of, of uh, interesting early projects. And then bringing additional researchers to help uh, these people. And then as we moved forward toward the clinic, then we hired more people who knew well how to do uh, clinical development who had been working in pharma or in other biotechs for the past 15 to 20 years. So that's the way we, um, that's the way we try to, um, to fill the gaps. Uh, and and it's, ne it's a never ending story, actually. I mean, we are going to hire four to five people until the end of the year because um, I'm, I'm very lucky to work with people who search and find uh, new targets of interest. So, um, so then you want to develop them and bring them uh, toward the clinic because that's clearly the, the judgment day that you need. I mean, does it work in humans? That's the, the only interest we have. It's very good. I mean, the science is very important. The understanding of the biology is very important, um, but you cannot be only mechanistic in, in your approach to, to R&D. Right. What you want is a result. You want data and you want positive results. That's the, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the, uh, and I, and I want to ask you about this, even though I, I understand that you're a, a, an R and D focused company, as I mentioned earlier, you've got uh, Tadopi. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, exactly. uh, yep. As far along as phase three um, and, and other uh, candidates in, in the clinic. And of, of course, that's the, the ultimate goal is to get some of these ideas to, uh, you know, to, to move forward. Um, as you do that, give me your perception or your perspective or philosophy on how you uh, how early in that R&D process do you start to determine the viability of these therapies from a, a manufacturing and potential commercialization standpoint? What challenges do you see there in the, in well, the we, actual process of, of you know, potentially well, we, we, taking we these try to, Yeah, we try to do that quite early, actually. Uh, for example, we have a new bispecific platform 
um, that we are, we, we are developing and we started to work on that two years ago to, uh, to, to, to address specific resistance to checkpoint inhibitors. And, 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 and as a backbone for this platform, we choose uh, our own anti-PD one and we choose it because the productivity and the stability of this backbone could be good uh, in, a, in a bispecific platform, knowing that that's one of the main challenges uh, when you want to do a, a bispecific on a, a format. So that's clearly something, and, and we are learning a lot. I mean, obviously we don't um, address uh, or start a project now the same way we started when we started a project in 2017, for example. We have learned what is important, how you can gain speed on things, where you need to spend time on other things, um, and, and productivity, manufacturing aspect, aspects are essential in, in our business. I mean, you need, you need to make sure you, you have a, a, a nice yield, for example. Otherwise, mm -hmm. there's, there's no way to, you, you, you can continue to, to work on the development of a, of a specific product. So that's why our uh, company is really organized like a, a dossier you present to the um, uh, authorities, the FDA or EMA. I mean, you have people who are specialized in biomolecular, you have uh, engineers, uh, you have people from a regulatory, from CNC, uh, people from TOX also, uh, so that clearly you work as a project team for something which has to become a, a product which could be registered if the results are, are positive enough. And that's how we started with Tedopi, as you mentioned. I mean, we, we had positive uh, step one um, results in our, in our phase three in an admit need because it's post-checkpoint failure. So that's very important to have, to assemble the right team uh, toward this. And for the new and uh, the newer projects, for example, I mentioned on the myeloid cells target click one, it's, it's quite early. I mean, we, we still have to, to define which lead candidate we, we could have, but we are already thinking about what types of models we are going to develop how, which, in which indication we could use it, uh, and how do we make sure that the cell line, for example, will be, will be the most efficient possible based on the, the issues we might have in the past on other projects. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that uh, oncology and immunotherapy are, are near and dear to you, and sort of it's important to you that, that those are the, uh, the things that you're working on. Uh, within those kind of broad uh, umbrellas, what, uh, how do you go about prioritizing which targets you're going to go after, wh which indications you want to tackle? Well, that's the most difficult part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's difficult because when you have several interesting projects, you would like to do everything at the same time, but you have limited resources. So, so clearly that's, that's the, the idea here, and that's why it's important to have people who have been involved in clinical development mainly. You really need to make sure that you address unmet needs um, and that you are not going to spend uh, 10, 20, 30 million euros uh, to have a, a, a treatment uh, which could bring only a, a small benefit compared to uh, Doliprane or Paracetamol, for example. I'm just giving you a... But, but sure. sometimes you have to come back to the basics because you can, you can be uh, so interested by the science, by the bi biology that you might forget sometimes that there, is, there are some treatments which do work, which are very cheap and so on. So in some specific indications. So that's, that's why you need to come back to the, which kind of unmet need are we going to, uh, to fill? Um, where are we going to, uh, to, to develop this specific product on this specific target? 
and do are we going to bring uh, a, a, something sufficiently uh, beneficial uh, for for the patients so that it it makes the, the all the efforts uh, worth worth it them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as you go, go through this process, I, I wanted to ask if you have encountered any specific process challenges uh, to, uh, you know, that maybe held up the potential for the yield that you mentioned uh, and, and how you went about solving those, those process challenges. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you, for example, I mean, we had some challenges in, in one of our projects uh, and, and, and the yield was not high enough, so mm -hmm. um, we could have stopped it. And, but fortunately, I mean, you have other, we, we, we do work in a network uh, of companies who are specialized in, in solving uh, some, some issues. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. We work with a, a company called MapCidico, which is specialized in in Cidico data. So they have algorithm and they can help you improve uh, some uh, monoclonal antibodies so that you can solve the yield issue or other other issues um, and and by by forging these kind of relationships with these people you you can accelerate the development tackle some issues solve some issues but I have also uh, some example where we could not solve uh, the issues and you have to stop the you have to stop the project the important thing is to make sure that you are still have enough project to refurbish I would say your portfolio uh, and make sure that you continue to have enough uh, product uh, which will be at clinical stage in the future for the development of the company. And we are lucky we are to have this, that's clear. Are there any uh, common uh, threads or, or hallmarks of that stop sign uh, <laughs> that, that says, hey, we're not gonna be able to do this anymore? Like, is there a, you know, I guess, I guess I'm asking if there's a, a clear indicator or a, a common thread among those indicators as the leader of the company that you've seen that, you know, you, you could, you could well, share with others say, look, when it gets to this point, you got to cut bait and, and move on. Well, what, you know, when you have tried uh, on two or three or four different kind of models and, and you don't have any, you don't have any results, even though on the paper, the biology seems very interesting and so on. It means that as a company, we have not found the, the, the right path forward for, for this target, for this product, which does not mean, that some other people might not find it. And, and uh, we might mm -hmm. see uh, in the future um, other biotechs or pharma companies who will be working on the same pathway, but addressing this, uh, it a bit differently. So we might want to come back to this and say, ah, that was clever, let's try uh, on, on, on this way. So that, that's, that's a possibility. And sometimes also um, we've, we've got a lot of academic collaborations and, and sometimes we, 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 we get contacted by, by some academic uh, researchers who want to try our product on something and, 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 and we say, why, why, why not? I mean, we'll see, but we don't believe in it. And then they come back with very interesting results. And hmm. you see, ah, yes, um, they, they, that's, that's the way you, you, you move in this world. I mean, the, the world of R&D is made of trials and errors. You, 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 we don't pretend that we know everything far from it. Um, and so you need to have these kind of partnerships, uh, not only with big pharma companies, but also with academic labs and so on. And that's the way you, you will progress and, and, and make sure that uh, you, you improve your, your project and, and, and your targets. Yeah. What's the, so we're running a little bit short on time here, Alexi. So I want to, I want to kind of wrap this up, but I'm curious what the, uh, 
what the, the short term and maybe a little bit longer term goals for OSCR. Uh, you know, at this point, you've got, like I said, you've got some pretty mature clinical candidates and you've got this focus on R&D. Is the goal maybe to, you know, go commercial with something to fund more R&D? Is it, uh, you know, what, what's kind of the next step? Now, for, clearly for the, for the next two to three years, uh, the important thing for us is to bring more clinical uh, stage products forward uh, to get clinical results, clinical data, because it will validate in a way uh, our model and our abilities to, to find new, new interesting targets. Then if we go a bit broader than that and, and after two to three years, my goal would be exactly that. I mean, if you can find a product or a target that you can develop on a specific indication, which would not require um, uh, millions and millions of euros. I mean, if you address the non-small cell lung cancer market, you've got big pharma players, so you're not going for that. But in the autoimmune disease part, for example, or even in immunology, you can still find some niche uh, indications. And, and I come from I mean, the pharma world, as you mentioned, I've been uh, uh, marketing drugs before. I like most of the team in the clinical development that I have. So we could do that. But first, we need to build the house and, and show that our model is working, we are able to find innovative targets and to get positive clinical data for that. That's the, that's, that's the goal for the next two to three years. Excellent. Excellent. Any, uh, any concluding thoughts for our, our audience of new and emerging biotech leaders? Uh, maybe some more uh, references to, to, to rugby, like put, put your head down, put your head down, carry the ball and move the pile, right? Yeah, and, and, and never stop, and never stop. And never stop. Just, 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 be, just be sure that you will face people who want to tackle you, but you have to avoid them or um, fight them. Yeah, excellent. Alexi, thank you for joining us. It's been a, a fun conversation and, and an honor to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. So that's Alexi Payroll. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online and sponsored by Cytiva, which offers a host of great resources for emerging biotechs at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. Check it out. Go to bioprocessonline.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And if you like what you're hearing here, subscribe to the podcast on the pod platform of your choice and give us five stars. In the meantime, thanks for listening.